low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled to have you here and really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's great to be here, Ray, and look forward to having a good chat on what's changing out there. Well, you know, it's interesting, Ken, when we were chatting, I guess, a month or so ago, uh, and we're always big fans of your research and, and follow along and also partner uh, with training industry from time to time. Um, and I think it's so important to think about not just what's happening in training, you know, how is maybe sales training, the specifics changing, but even in the last six months, what is that trend, right? What are those changes and how are we adapting to it? Because it is happening in real time. And I know we're hearing from a lot of our clients and ourselves as well, trying to figure out how to adapt almost month by month and, right. uh, and pivot uh, appropriately, right, to stay relevant and stay on top of it. So I think the recent research and the way you've been able to stay on top of it with your organization uh, has really been compelling. And so I think it's great that we have the opportunity to share some of that in almost real time here today. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been fun watching um, watching the evolution sort of in the whole uh, mindset of people that are responsible for employee development, regardless of whether they're L&D or, or in a line function, and how, how their mindset has shifted and how their access to stakeholders changed over time. So they're able to kind of redo their plans and, and, and start to kind of implement them at this point in time. So it, it has been a, a pretty neat evolution to watch. Yeah, you know, I, I, I try to be an optimist, uh, at least most of the time, but, you know, thinking about what are those silver linings that are coming out of the work from home, some of the changes, you know, the, the pivots that we've had to go through. And I think, you know, virtual and blended learning is one of those things that, boy, really got accelerated. I think we're seeing it in the classroom. We're seeing it in telehealth. We're certainly seeing it in virtual training delivery uh, that might have taken years to get to where we are. But we kind of had to. So let's jump in and kind of talk about how some of those things have actually, uh, you know, adapted and adjusted. You know, in terms of our agenda today, what I'd like to do is just share some of the insights from your research about how training delivery has changed, really thinking about what learners want. So what are their preferences and why do training preferences uh, become so important in terms of uh, outcomes. So I think thinking about the impact of preferred training methods and how that influences that, and then what can we take away about you know how that's suited to sales training, and maybe for our listeners today and our audience, you know what are some of the things we can look at as we're designing and rolling out programs to really optimize that based on some of the research. But you know, Ken, any thoughts? You know, just in terms of the, the agenda, where we're headed today. No, I mean this. Uh, this sounds like the right the right flow. I think you'll hear. I'll I'll talk generally. Uh, I'll talk about training in general, and then we'll customize it specifically when there are differences, because there were some differences between sales training and and other types of training inside the corporate context. So 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 we'll make sure we make that contrast for everybody as we go through it. Yeah, absolutely. It is kind of starting at the macro training in general, and then thinking about those unique animals called salespeople, right? <laughs> how, how do we train them and, and what's different? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So, 
It is evolving um, to pretty much virtual instructor-led training, but there are learning leaders are acknowledging that there are going to be areas that you're going to have to do some kind of classroom training at some point. Um, and I think that's that's key. we have to keep that in the back of our mind because there's going to be applications where you, you really are going to have to be in person. Um, and I think it's it's going through and learning um, learning about what's happening and, and how 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 to do the virtual uh, instructor-led training better and giving more employees access to it. Because another thing we learned in our research was access to a modality actually resulted in uh, generally employees preferring it more. So, so, so folks may not have preferred virtual instructor-led training before they experienced it, but once they experience it, uh, we, we find that they're going to, to prefer it more. Yeah, and I will we'll definitely get into that with the research. I think we've seen that, that the level of engagement and the quality of our virtual sessions has gone up significantly because people are more willing to turn their video on. Frankly, they don't have another option. <laughs> and as, as a number of people mentioned, like Emily said, uh, the amount of training has accelerated. Barry mentioned, you know, so shorter sessions, but more of them online with more interaction. So I think we've had to chunk those up. And especially in March, April, May, we found, okay, we can't sell. What can we do? Let's sharpen the saw, right? Those organizations that really leaned in and maybe focused on skill development while they waited for, you know, budgets to open up and, and things to start moving again. Yep. And, and I think that was consistent on, on uh, inside of organizations pretty much everywhere where they went through that same pattern, which is like, well, if we're not going to be delivering uh, courses right now, what can we do to improve sort of the offering that we have for employees when it's when the time comes back? Yeah, well, I love the interaction from our group today. Just yeah. cover one other. Melissa mentioned training has taken a whole new level of creativity. And again, you know, kind of that necessity driving. <laughs> How do we do this differently um, to ensure engagement of the remote workers? Uh, and I think, and we'll share some of the collaborative learning we're doing, this collaborative learning experience uh, that we're rolling out that has really made the engagement among the learners uh, much richer and and more valuable, and it's something we're seeing really good results. So we'll get into that as well. Well, let's keep us moving. I know we have a lot of research uh, we want to share here, so I'll just cover, um, you know, how how it has changed, and love you to talk about that, and then we'll get into the learner preferences. So Ken, maybe you could talk a little bit about the surveys that you've done, the research in the past, and what does that look like over the last six months or so? Yeah, so so this this particular data that we're, we're showing here um, is from research that uh, we did starting in I guess the early early of the month of April and right through to September, um, and we it was what we were calling our pulse survey. And what we were trying to do is understanding the try and get a good understanding of what the evolution is looking like out there across all industries. Now, these this is the average of this is the average of all of the the survey respondents, and there was big variation based on what industry you're in. Like obviously. There are some industries that really don't have the luxury of going virtual because their employees are on site, you know, hospitality, for example, or, or, or some retail, they still need to have some in-person training. So, so it did, it did very widely, but the interesting thing that came out of here um, was that there was still a bit of a move from ILT because you're at, uh, you know, the, the, the current state or the pre COVID state was about 40% of all, of all training was delivered uh, instructor led in a classroom and about 25% was, was virtual instructor led about 24% was some form of e-learning could have included video. Um, and then the other was, was job aids, a bunch of other things that, that, uh, that contribute to, to employees performance. Well, we saw the shift to, to post COVID 
to a, to a significant reduction in instructor-led training. And that was consistent, Ray, with all the comments that we saw from the folks participating in the chat. Um, and the virtual instructor-led ends up being the big winner. But what's really interesting in the numbers here too, though, is, is, that, is the fact that they're going to, we're gonna see an increase in e-learning. Um, the, the initial move was all to virtual, right? Take the instructor-led, move it to virtual, hope it works. Um, but what, what companies have, are starting to realize is there are some parts of what was taught in the classroom that lends itself better to e-learning and some parts that lend itself to some kind of interactive learning. So the good news, we believe, because it's, 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 it's consistent with, with best practice, is they're taking a look at each program and then deciding the modality that matches it best. So, so that's really what's coming out of the data. Yeah, and I, I think the idea of a blended, you know, digital blended solution, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but how do we take some of the best practices from all of those and put them together and also align them with the, the learner preferences? So let's talk about that. You know, the takeaway, uh, Ken, I think you were looking at, well, now they are doing more virtual. So what did that mean to you? And, you know, kind of what's your uh, suggestion or, or uh, idea about how that's going to evolve going forward? Yeah, I, I think, um, and, and I can talk about personal experience because we have a program that certifies training managers. Uh, it's, it's a certification called CPTM that we do through uh, to to our audience at training industry, um, and we've we've always had uh, our sessions virtual instructor led. So we've always had a combination of a practicum uh, uh, or, or a cohort that would go through together over a three day period and do do an experience. Um, uh, that where they would work through the, the, the materials that they'd already taken through e-learning. Um, and then, so, so that, that, that kind of blending experience uh, to us made a lot of sense. Our research data also says, however, that once somebody gets exposure to, to a new modality and they have a good experience, they're gonna be fine with it. So, and, uh, and, and exposure itself usually results in, in, a, in a, good, a good belief about the modality. So, so I think a lot of folks were really worried about the shift. I think, I think that our, data's, our data and our previous experience tell us that it's gonna be okay. They're gonna, they're, they're gonna warm up to the programs. Well, and to, to me, it comes back to design and, and implementation as well. That good yeah. virtual with good activities, good engagement. I, I mean, we're using Zoom today, but the ability to leverage breakout rooms in new creative ways, uh, to really leverage chat and polling and interactions. And, you know, whether you're using Teams or Adobe Connect or WebEx, you know, just making sure that we're really pushing those platforms. And I think they're all pushing each other to get better, right? Um, it's way different than even a few years ago where it was hard enough just to get people to log in and be able to connect and participate in a virtual, uh, virtual yeah. environment. Yeah, and again, for, for our sessions, we were running both uh, live instructor-led and virtual ones, and our scores for the virtual ones were actually uh, stronger than the in-person events. So, um, you know, we, we, we sort of saw this coming, um, and it's a trend that I think uh, people are going to find is going to work quite well for them. Great, great. So let's let's keep moving, Ken. And there was a question about, you know, other preferences around modalities and, and what learners want. So let's, let's go there, actually. Um, I know you looked at you know, what, what are the preferences and then kind of what are they getting? And uh, so maybe you could speak to, you know, the research here around what type of training they preferred and really what that meant. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the key message here is that learners want some kind of uh, uh, relevant interactive experience when they're, when they're learning new things. 
Um, and there was really not a whole lot of variability uh, in the data around that. So it's, you see here the top three modalities are instructor-led, on-the-job training, and e-learning. Um, you know, most people, that was the consensus pick across, uh, across pretty much the whole sample. There was this belief that the millennials would want something substantially different than, than uh, some of the other age groups, or those who are younger and had more exposure to technology would perhaps view, uh, want, want more technology-enabled learning, learning and less e-learning. That was essentially not true in the sample, and it was a big enough sample that, that we, were, we were pretty confident that, that, that it was the right answer. There was a little bit of variability. Uh, in the nature of, of roles, and we'll talk a little bit about how sales training was a little bit different than the rest of the group. Um, and also, also two sort of factors, whether or not you're managing people. So basically, the more senior you were, you had a slightly different set of preferences than, 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 uh, than the rest. And if your job was particularly complex, you, you had a slightly different preference than, than the rest. And, and for both of those, it was just giving the learner more control. They wanted to have more self-paced pieces. So if, if I'm managing people, it, it kind of makes sense that I would want to learn sort of on my own timetable because I have a, a lot of other distractions but other than just doing the job that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the, that was the real big, big thing that jumped out of the, uh, jumped out of the research um, is that there was pretty strong preference for, for these, these methods that, that the employee believed are, were, were super relevant, but also sort of uh, they knew that the instructor or the program could customize itself to the learner, and that's that's super key. And that, that's why when talking about collaborative experiences, it's really important that the collaboration piece be adapted to the team that's that's participating. Oh, I think that's that's critically important, making it relevant. And I think that's one of the things, and we'll get to it on the sales training that we've seen. Salespeople will tell you, well, I I like it, and I'm willing to go if it's really good and relevant. But if you're taking me away from closing business, you know that that's hitting my pocketbook. And the sales leader will say the same thing, right? You're good. You want them to. You want to take two or three days and take them out of the field, and that's going to affect my numbers. So, boy, it better be good, and I better get an uptake. So, you know, he or she is kind of setting the mandate that it better be really good, which is nice to see that you know, kind of e-learning and on the job and coaching are also in the mix there because I think we can blend those together to to create a better outcome. Yeah, exactly. I think I think people often forget, and those who are responsible for training programs for employees, I think the number one thing that we preach at Training Industry is don't forget the most the, the largest cost associated with training is the employee downtime, um, and it's not the program cost. So I think a lot of times we get hung up on how much the training program's going to cost. You're you're much better to spend a little bit more in the training program and a lot less uh, and take a lot less employees' time. Uh, uh, Every time it, the, the the return on that this decision that discussion is always simple. No, that's great, and I, I'm just going to respond to Melissa's comment because I think it's great. <laughs> How to motivate salespeople to engage in non-pay activities like learning and coaching, and I think the answer is we make it relevant to real on-the-job activities. So, to the extent we can make those activities focused on real accounts, real call plans, real negotiable. Uh, issues they have coming up, you know, can they apply it to a day in the life immediately? Well, now it's relevant. And guess what? They come out feeling like they actually did some real work. So we'll talk about that as part of a blended solution as well. So I think the key, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, um, it's all about relevancy. If they can see that they're actually solving existing problems uh, as they go through the training, um, they're, they're going to do it. So I, I think we talked about it. They, they might like to have in-person, but that may be changing. And we want to think about, well, how do we take that into account 
But let's also talk about training methods that they think are most effective, because I thought this was really compelling in your research that that really has a huge impact on kind of the overall preference and, and outcomes of the program. So let's talk about, you know, a little bit about what your research said there, Ken. So in terms of the effectiveness of modality and how that relates to the training outcome. So what did that have to do with, you know, what did they really want and how did they think about training in terms of how effective it was? Yeah. So, so what's really interesting here is the, the, this is sort of a vote of relevancy, right? So, so, uh, the, the, the people that participated in this research said, basically, I want it as close to my job as possible, right? I want it on the job. And the reason they want it on the job is so they could ask questions that had happened in real life and it not be sort of an abstract, an abstract discussion. So this is all about, about relevancy and adaptability. They know that if I'm getting training on the job, well, then the problem that I run into, we can talk about and try and solve. Uh, or the, you know, the objection I'm going to run into or when I, when I hit uh, when I hit a gatekeeper in a sales scenario, I was like, well, listen to me, try it, and then give me some pointers on, on how I can do it better. Um, so, so, so big, those top two were really, really important, and, and they were telling us uh, a serious message there. Um, the third one was instructor-led training, again, because an instructor in a classroom can adapt the program to what is most relevant to, to me and what, 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 what uh, their perception is as a, as a learner in a classroom, I'm going to be able to steer the training to, to the things that are most important to me. Um, and then uh, we really like the simulation one because we're starting to see more and more, and, there's, and the technologies are really starting to help, help with, uh, uh, with that, but we're starting to see more and more situations where employees want to practice the new skills. And simulation gives them an environment within which they can they can practice new skills. So, so that was what was really interesting about uh, uh, about the preferences. Yeah. So I think the key takeaway there, you know, just the idea that uh, they believe that the delivery method that are going to give them the best opportunity to apply the skills, and as we said, make it uh, you know extremely relevant and practice. Um, they're going to have a better perception of that program if they're able to do that. That that was the one of the uh, one of the reasons for for doing the research is we had seen historically that uh, when people were developing new programs we it's one of the questions we ask in a lot of the research uh, uh, um, surveys that we do we always ask them so for the next program you're going to build how many modalities are you going to include in that program and what we had been seeing consistently year over year is every time we asked that question they were they were, it was going up they were they were including more and more. Uh, modalities in each of their training programs, which we were kind of perceiving as, boy, they must be getting really complex and hard to manage. Well, what the research told us was that if, if an employee goes through training and they have an experience in a modality that they prefer, their perception of the program goes up significantly. So they believe the program is better because they had an experience in a modality that they prefer. So that's, that could have been what was the underlying driver to those responsible for these programs to keep adding in new modalities because every time they did, their scores would go up. Um, so, so, so it was interesting to find out uh, uh, what was really driving that. And, and according to this research, it was the learner's perception of the program uh, and, and the fact that it improved uh, when they had an experience they liked. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because I think you have a, a little bit of data around that, and I think it is the hey, if we if we fish with more lures in the water, I guess we're we're likely to catch more fish or some some, some analogy there. But uh, yeah, talk a little bit more about that learning preferences and then how that relates to the outcomes. Yeah, so 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 they were the direct outcomes, which were the scores that that uh, they would give uh, around how how effective they thought the program was. 
how much they liked the program, how effective they thought it was. But there were secondary benefits uh, that we also that also creeped in. Um, if they if if uh, an employee, because we we had asked these employees, they had to have had a learning experience in the last year. So we had asked them, you know, what was their experience like, and that's where we got. Uh, uh, we, we got their scores in terms of, yeah, I felt the program that I went through was more effective. And then we were able to kind of deconstruct why they thought it was more effective. But what we also found is if they had a good experience in training, they were also much more likely to have stronger work clarity, understanding what their role is, hmm. higher job satisfaction. Um, they had a, a, a much more work was much more central to their life. Uh, um, and and they, they had this perception that management was taking care of them because they were providing them with excellent training. So it was really interesting to us. I mean, obviously we're training industry. So anytime we see training driving outcomes outside of just the, the employee performance, um, we, find that, we find that super interesting. So, so this was, this was, a, this was a, a really cool finding in the research that actually in general, if you had a good learning experience in the last year, you're, going, you're, you're off the charts better and pretty much all of the key metrics that you would uh, want an employee to, to, uh, to be happy about. Wow. So I think it really shines a spotlight on, on getting that right, <laughs> right? Get, or at least getting the right mix of uh, modalities that, that are going to resonate with the learners. And, you know, there was a question I wanted to, to just get back to to clarify. I think Seth brought up that um, the data that you shared initially was that learning preference was still ILT. But yes. the quote we shared was the presumption is that we're going to see that change, you know, both anecdotally, I think we're seeing it from our clients, Plus, that's kind of the only option, right? So they're they're maybe making that shift. Can you clarify that as well? I mean, I think we that, that's exactly, believe that's, that's going to happen, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And actually, the first chart in the deck uh, where we talked about the pulse data—that's that's those people responsible for for managing uh, and and delivering training programs. They're telling us it's happening. So 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 that's fine. And 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 the point I, uh, we 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 should make, and, and I think everybody should feel quite comfortable, is that exposure to a modality will result in people liking it more. So the fact that virtual instructor-led training didn't score that high on the list is because not a lot of people had an experience in it. And that was clear in the data also, that if you didn't experience it, whether, whether if you didn't experience it, you weren't likely to prefer it, and you weren't likely uh, to think it was particularly effective. There was one exception to that, and that was gaming. Um, and we think it's because a lot of people have had exposure to gaming outside of learning, um, so they ha they have a belief that you know gaming allows practice, um, and therefore I think I would prefer it as as a modality. That was the only exception to that rule. Interesting. Well, and let's talk about kind of how that came together too, because I think one of the really interesting takeaways is it's also not all or nothing. It's not just ILT or it's not just video. There are different ways to do that. But can you talk about the multimodal learning and how that increases their their preference? Yeah, exactly. So, so what we saw in the data was um, those we had asked them to describe the the the, uh, the the program that they were talking about and tell us how many modes were in it. Uh, um, and and what we found is that the more modes, regardless of all keeping everything else the same, the more modalities uh, or, or uh, that were that were included in the program, uh, the, the higher higher likelihood they would have to score as more effective. So again, it, uh, a lot of people think, well, what that means, you know, it's it's like the, the the weight test where you drop the book on 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 the desk, and if it feels like it's really thick, it's probably a good book. Um, I think it's more than that. I think it's exposure. I think it's 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 a perception that you're doing your best to try and match what part of the learning experience is delivered in what way. So that might mean a job aid as a as a, as a 
as a leave behind that you can put on your desk to give you the sequence that you're supposed to be going, going through a particular activity um, or uh, uh, you know, any kind of any kind of piece, like a video piece, perhaps because that's the best way to model a behavior. Like it's, it's that they're looking for that thinking. And th their belief is if, you, if you're creating multimodal learning or blended learning, if we're going to uh, call it call it uh, something different, that that the person creating the program is making good decisions, good instructional design decisions in terms of what uh, what they're teaching me using what modality. No, I think that's a great takeaway that, you know, the preferred if we can get to that preferred preference, and as you said, if there are enough modes that resonate, it's a bit like a marketing or PR program, right? We know we can't just send an email or we can't just have a website or we can't just do some PR. It needs to be all of those things if we're going to effectively reach because different things resonate with different audiences. And it's the same with the, the delivery method. So making sure we kind of build that in. And I don't know, I don't know a program that would have 20 different modalities. I'd have to uh, think about that, but, but at least we're using multiple. It's not just ILT and then we're done because we, we know from years and years of history that that's not going to be most effective in the long run. It's, it's nice to see Alice had the same experience with her uh, leadership development program. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. ILT was, uh, was preferred. So, well, let's uh, tailor this in and focus specifically on sales training. Cause I know we have a number of, of sales training professionals, sales enablement and, and sales professionals um, and thinking about, well, what methods, what can we take away from this? And I know you did some subset uh, of the audience in terms of, you know, what, what do salespeople want? What are they getting? And what does that mean? Can you speak to that in terms of their preferences? Sure. So, so, so first place we asked them, well, what do you want? Right. And, and again, the dominant was this, this person, this in-person training, but unique to sales training was on, on the job was actually number two. And, and uh, on the job coaching was number three. So again, this is this, and I, I think, uh, I think uh, sales is a little bit different in that they don't necessarily want to be offline, um, whether from their, their personal uh, uh, wallet or, or uh, uh, their ability to achieve company goals, but they still wanted instructor led. Um, the, the other interesting thing is their self-paced does creep up a little bit in there uh, in, in terms of e-learning. So, so in terms of their preferences, they were pretty consistent with what we saw across the board. Um, in terms of what they got, um, they got a lot of video, which is probably a little bit more than they want, but not substantially more than they wanted. Uh, they got a little bit uh, more virtual instructor led than they want, and they got primarily um, uh, ILT. So this subset of the data suggests to us that, you know, these, the people getting the sales training were probably pretty happy with their programs because there was a good match there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, consistent though, the idea of really focusing in on the, on the job, the video uh, kind of VLT. And, you know, I think these were the, the top four takeaways, right? That, um, exactly. that more than half thought that these were at the top. And as you mentioned, simulation in this case, uh, probably more important maybe even than some of the other areas because maybe it's easier to simulate a sales call or a demo or handling an objection. Exactly. And, and I think it's the notion of practice, right? I think uh, um, uh, in sales, I think more than a lot, than a lot of uh, technical roles, um, practicing the new skills is really critical. So we, we, I think they believe that simulation would afford them the opportunity to practice. And I think that's what was going on there. Yeah, I'll just share an example. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, one of our programs as well. But this is an example of something we've done. We packaged a virtual sales training program together because we're getting a lot of questions about the virtual environment. How do we show up? How do we engage? 
How do we bring energy to all of these Zoom calls or virtual calls we're having? So we put together a, a short checklist and it's been getting really good response and feedback and utilization because, you know, back to that idea of what's something I, tangible that I can apply today and also that managers can coach to. So having that coaching checklist, having something simple that, you know, I love that checklist manifesto idea, right? But, but what's that uh, complement to kind of the traditional training, whether it's ILT or VILT that keeps it alive? And Ray, you touched on something really interesting that I don't think we talked about to this point. And that's, that's this whole idea of the manager's endorsement for the training program. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the big things that we've learned through our research at training industry is that it's absolutely critical that the manager endorse and or support the employee taking the training. So all you need is one regional sales manager to say, you know, I don't know you guys are going to get much out of it, but we got to do the training. And then immediately that sales team goes in with, a, with an attitude that, that actually impacts both their perception of the course, but also its impact. So, so you know, one of the things I, we can't stress more as those responsible for, for, for doing these development programs is to get to the manager and get them bought in. Well, I completely agree. And it's something we build into all of our programs is that management engagement so they know what's coming before. We talk about their role during the training, whether they're participating or at least supporting. And then what are they going to do afterwards, right? What are the tools and resources to help coach and reinforce? And even to the extent, and we'll show you an example, but recording short micro videos from the executives. We did this very successfully uh, with a large program here at the tech company in Seattle, where we had the you know global VPs just give a 30 second video about why the training was important, why they really wanted people to lean in on it and how they were investing, right? in building the skills because that was critical to growing that part of the organization. That makes such a huge difference that, oh, this is important. I guess I should pay attention, right? Yeah, and, and not to generalize too much, but um, it's actually one of the most important things when you're talking about soft skill development uh, in, uh, in employees is, is that uh, managers bought into what the contents of the program are and the impact it should have. Absolutely. So, you know, thinking about this in terms of that on the job and the coaching, those were some of the most effective methods and doing that in the line of work, and, and that gets back to, you can't do that two or three days in the classroom and really get a chance to apply it and see how it's working. If you're spacing it out, or we're doing that virtually or, or in some blended format, well, they can go out and try it and then come back and collaborate and talk about how that's working. And I think that really improves the engagement and, and the successful outcomes. And, and Ray, I think, uh, you know, I think there was a cost reason why we slammed training into three-day periods, because if people had to fly and hotel and be off work, it was, it was much more manageable to have them go and do it and get it over with. Um, when we're reinventing training now, we, we can relook at the, at, at the timeframes with which you, you, you uh, roll out a program. You can take a three-day program and break it down to 15 sessions over several weeks. So it doesn't feel like it's intruding on, on the uh, salesperson's ability to hit quota. And it, it feels naturally part of their workflow. So there are some real opportunities here as we make this shift. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things, and we've kind of joked about it, but you know, in some cases, when you look at just the travel and expense and entertainment budget for an SKO or a large training program, that can actually fund the rest of the training for a year if you're doing it virtually or in some blended format, if you're not putting people on airplanes and paying the bar tabs, right? So, I mean, it, it frees up uh, uh, some additional options. Yep. 
So the other area I wanted to get your feedback, Ken, and we'll share an example is just this idea of collaborative learning and getting people, you know, whether that's peer coaching or sharing examples with each other and getting input from each other. Can you talk about some of the trends and some of the things you're, you're seeing there? And then I'll share an example of uh, one of the sure. things we're seeing as well. Well, um, the most, what we're, we're seeing across the board is that one of the most important parts of actually making the learning stick is making employees interact with each other um, around the subject that, that's been trained. So that could be anything from, from uh, role playing in small groups to sharing videos of successful interactions, but it's this idea of sharing, right? So here's what I learned and now I'm sharing with you to make sure that we both kind of learn it the same way. Um, so that's so critical. And, and that was one of the big advantages to being in a classroom is because you could create that collaboration. You could force people to exchange and, and, and ideas and, and, and philosophies and, and, and key takeaways. Um, so the great news is there's still ways to do that in the context of blended solutions by, by, by taking some of the actual uh, learning, uh, the knowledge transfer and moving that perhaps into, into some, some e-learning, it'll give you more time during the collabor collaborative sessions to just practice. And, you know, we've long, long seen that the best programs always had uh, a focus on how we practice uh, to, to make the skill develop. So, so, so that's really what we're seeing there. Increased number of modalities and, and, and finding really creative ways to include collaboration in, 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 the, uh, in the virtual format. And, and it's not that hard. Like I said, our CPTM program has been doing it a long time. Um, and it's the, it's the one thing that we, th these cohorts, even though they weren't uh, in the same room, um, they're very sticky and they stay together. And, and uh, you know, as, as there's probably a few instructors on the call here today, um, the ability for the instructor to, to maintain momentum in that group too is really critical. So, so when, again, thinking about your investment in time going forward, I, I, I highly recommend thinking a little bit about, well, maybe there's a bit of investment that needs to stay in, the, in, in terms of instructor time to kind of continue the collaboration of the group moving forward. Well, and it's really interesting thinking about this case study because it's exactly, and it was a, really a mind shift we needed to go through thinking about using this collaborative platform or partnering, uh, in this case, with a, a partner called Intrepid. So Intrepid Learning, they provide this platform that allows us to host the videos and then also do assignments and activities. But we needed to also allocate the facilitator time, to your point, to moderate the discussions and those rich conversations that were happening in between. And when you have you know, 50 people uploading their assignments and starting to chat with each other, being able to help them and guide and coach in that manner is I think way richer than trying to do it in 25 minutes in the classroom where there's no way you're gonna to get to all the groups, right? Even if you have a smaller uh, ILT group. So um, that's really been interesting for us. And I'll just share kind of what this looks like as an example, but Having those short, you know, three to five minute videos, having the content, they can access it uh, each week, they can go through that, and then they're applying it back to that real work in a real life scenario. So the missions are all geared around their own accounts and field work, and then they're coming back together. So whether it's uploading a video or doing a call plan or sharing a, an objection they're hand handling, um, then they can share that in the format and we get together in a live office hour or cohort to talk about those and troubleshoot and coach. So that to me is where you can't just, and 
frankly, MOOC, right, the massive open online courses, got a bad rap because they put out this content, they'd expect people to go through it, and they'd get maybe 5% completion rates. Right. And it, it was just abysmal. And doing that, but with a guided cohort and that moderation of facilitation, I mean, we're getting over 85% completion within an eight-week period on this program, which is outstanding for a, a self-paced program, right, to go through that and get to completion and get the certificate and be able to get the digital badge. So going through that, having the tools and resources available for future reference, we said multimodal, right, so this allows them to do that. And then this idea of healthy competition, so there's dashboards, a leaderboard, you know, they're getting badges for each key area they complete. And I, uh, again, we've seen both satisfaction rates improve so incredibly high you know, participation and satisfaction, and then the completion of the programs have increased. And overall, they're saying, yes, we think this will help our uh, sales because we're actually applying the skills in real life. So I know you've seen this in other programs as well, but can you comment on that in terms of you know, kind of the collaborative uh, trends you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, directionally, this is kind of even what the research said was, was what was going to happen in general. The thing that always I find really cool about it is it's, is it's kind of starting to define new, uh, new skill sets for for the instructors. There's almost like a, there's almost like a TA in the old uh, 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 university days uh, type of role where you know they may be responsible to 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 triage uh, what's coming in in the discussion boards and then you know raising those things that are important to the facilitator to then interact with the group about. So so there's a, there are brand new roles and responsibilities that 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 uh, that become part of this transition to this. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the, the critical elements around uh, the social badging um, mm -hmm. and dashboards and quizzes to be to be really critical. And we've seen some amazing things that organization, organizations are doing using badges internally, uh, especially those organizations that perhaps have adopted an agile sort of uh, 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 go-to-market model, um, whether that be for just design or across the company. Um, the, the ability to leverage badges as, as sort of uh, uh, team membership rules. You know, you can go through and say, oh, I want a, a senior badge in, in sales with, a, you know, an intermediate badge in marketing. And that's the team I'm going to put together to, to solve this business problem. So, so, so the use of those things can have benefits way beyond just the, this particular program. Absolutely. And for the learning and development professional or sales enablement professional, I think it's also really helpful to be able to say, well, how many people do I have that have completed? You know, it's not, let's go look for certificates or look at a spreadsheet. But in this case, and we're partnering with Credly, right? They do the third party badges through a claim. So they're posting them on LinkedIn. And, you know, this pilot program, we got hundreds of responses. People were putting up their badges. People were complimenting. They were uh, congratulating them. And also it raises the visibility and worth for them of completing that. So now if your onboarding program says, oh yeah, after you know eight weeks, they're going to complete this and get their badge, that's the first step to being onboarded and you know being successfully uh, productive. Yep. Yeah. And I and, and I, you know, again, I, I just I can't stress enough that this get this afford this transition affords you the opportunity to kind of really rethink uh, the duration of, of of the sessions, the nature of the sessions. Um, and in, you can see that in here. You guys came up with several different ways to to continue the collaboration that was happening in the classroom. Well, and what's interesting, I, I won't say I stumbled into it, but I think it's a combination of we've been doing virtual, we've been doing micro learning, we've been doing instructor led, 
And there was a burning platform to say, well, you know what, we need to really roll this out in a scalable way. And so now we can have cohorts of 50 or 100, you know, going through this and getting the same content and getting the opportunity to collaborate instead of trying to, you know, get everybody in a classroom, 20 people at a time. So, you know, we talked about this idea of the learner's preference and what they believed in terms of applying and experimenting or, or the experiential practice uh, of, as a way of, of really applying the skills and the preferred training methods actually impact their perception of the effectiveness. Also that um, they like the on-the-job, the coaching, and the in-the-course-of-work application of the skills. So let's not forget that regardless of the modality. And then ultimately some blended form will probably have the largest uh, or, or highest potential to hit the mark and to be perceived a high value. I guess anything else you'd add add to this, Ken, based on some of the things uh, we've covered today? No, I would just like, again, the research double, you know, double emphasize the last one. You know, they are going to like the program better if you add more elements to it. So, so no, go know that with confidence going in, because uh, I, I think it'll make you, it, it'll, it'll, it'll make you uh, uh, much more likely to make the investments that you need to make. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into big performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. <laughs>